Welcome to Never Just a Dog podcast. I'm your host, John Littlefair. And in this episode, I'm joined by Paige and Bo Carter to talk about their son, Wesley, and his magic autism assistance dog, Max. When was Wes born? What year? So Wes was born in 2015. So he's six years old right now. Okay. And you have an older daughter, son? Yeah, we've got, we got two older daughters. We've got Lane, who's 14, and Quinn, who is 11. 11. Yeah, Lane's at high school going into year 10 next year. Okay. And then uh, Quinn's starting high school next year, which is a little scary. Yeah. <laughs> Time moves so fast, doesn't it? Yeah. It does. Now, guys, tell me a little bit about autism. We yeah. just we just sort of talk about autism being a range of symptoms that fall under an umbrella diagnosis because having two kids on the spectrum, they're totally different. And to sort of pigeonhole what that is is really difficult. Yeah, I can understand that. So when did you notice yourself that Wes uh, was showing signs of autism there was definitely some very early signs as like even a five month six month year old baby that we conveniently kind of thought is this is this real or not right so having had a his older his older sister lane uh, diagnosed with autism uh, when she was what six or seven we, we knew there were some signs there to look for but having had a, a child in the middle that is a, a neurotypical child you know we didn't know if it was just something that was at five or six months old that he would you know develop through or over um but so as early as that we started to see some signs I suppose always on the lookout with him for those early developments um milestone signals and yeah so one of the early ones with him was definitely language so he didn't do the typical babbling that a six-month-old would do and that's that can be a real key indication, like a language disorder or language delay. Our older daughter didn't have that, so that's why we say they're so different. It's probably the difference in language development, which is why she was sort of three, four, five when we were looking at diagnosis for her. But, yeah, Wesley didn't have those early language development milestones and that's what tipped us off so early. Is there a diagnosis, like a, a point in time that that was said to you that your son Wesley has autism or was it like a build-up? At around 10 months, I was quite certain. He, did, he hit all his physical milestones really early, so he was rolling over, crawling, walking quite early. He was 10 months old and he was running around, which is quite <laughs> quite advanced, but didn't seem to have the cognition to back up that physical those physical milestones. So so those early signs were enough to get a, an appointment at um, the child development center. So we had our appointment there. He was about 15 months old by the time we got through the weight weight line. <laughs> Basically, you wait about 
anywhere from six to 12 months for your initial appointment. Um, oh, wow. That's a, that's a long time. Is it under-resourced or that's just, uh, it's just the way it is? Possibly. We... With our with our older daughter, when she was diagnosed, she was five and we knew that we didn't have much time to waste with her. So we actually went through the private avenue. There's several ways that you can go about a diagnosis. So this, because we knew we were catching it early, we went through the, through the public system and we knew that we had a bit of allowances there for that, that wait time. We, we had our appointment there and they diagnosed him with what's called global developmental delay. So they were just saying that in, at, at the age of 15 months, they were giving him an age of seven months developmentally. Now, having already had another child go through the diagnosis and knowing really very well the diagnostic criteria or diagnosis, I pushed them to, to give him a diagnosis of autism. And through that service, they don't usually diagnose autism. They will diagnose the global developmental delay, but then they want you to wait a few years before you'll then go on for that. So I basically <laughs> I basically just looked them in the eye and said, you know he's got it. Please, will you just diagnose him now? So, yeah, they did. <laughs> and that was great because early intervention is very key. And, yeah, we were able to get him in therapy before he was two. So, As you're describing it, Paige, I do remember going to that initial assessment and it, it was clear to us as his family and having experienced autism, being around kids with autism and looking at them, it was clear to them too. I remember Wesley at the time was doing a lot of rocking, you know, like back and forth and sort of typical sort of autism behaviours in a sense. A lot of stimming. A lot of stimming is what, mm-hmm. you know, it's called. What, so it's some... what's, what's stimming? So it's like a repetitive, it's like, it's a repetitive behaviour that just gives them some sort of input, whether it's sensory input or that kind of thing. But he used to have plastic spoons, the little ones that you get from Ikea, <laughs> and he would just wave them in front of his face. Just like inches from his eyes, yeah, just, just to give him some sort watch. of stimulation, which would yeah. help. In his in his mind, or is his ability to to regulate whatever was going on. So these are things that you can clearly see with someone with no experience with autism to go. That's not a typical behaviour, particularly if it's constant and repetitive. These are things that are, I guess, telltale symptoms or signs to to those who have been trained to identify it to say, hang on, this fits the criteria. Even though he's fifteen months old, these are things that the criteria and 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 it has borne out that as he's gotten older and things if he was if we were to have waited till he was four or five which a lot of times they want you to do until he's in school age and they can compare him to peers easy or more, more easy i suppose they he would have had the same sort of behaviors just different stimming but the same sort of repetitive behaviors would still be the same so it was important for us just to get the ball rolling let's go and get some therapy it's a, it's a double-edged sword when it comes to getting a diagnosis. Part of that is the labelling that comes with it. And then the other part of that is the therapy that can accompany that. So for us, it was the positives outweighed the negatives of what could be negative labels for someone so young um, compared to the therapy that he, he could get once he had the diagnosis. So what does therapy with a child with autism look like? 
normally what people will do, you'll have a range depending on the child's different needs because it is such a huge spectrum. You do have children who have physical issues. They'll need um, physio and that type of thing. Wesley has occupational therapy and speech therapy. So one of his biggest issues was language development. So for him, that was really primarily our focus was on getting him to be able to communicate with us. So Wesley is also a little bit different um, in that he has something else called hyperlexia. So hyperlexia is when a child who's very, very young can read, read and write. Um, So Wesley at around age two got some magnetic, those little magnetic letters and wrote the word flowers and so I was like, oh, okay, he can, he can write words. But he, he is a little bit different even than on hyperlexia where he's, he's branched over to numbers. So he is at age six, like doing year nine, ten level maths. He's like a mathematical genius. That's amazing. We, we, we joke about it, but it is sincerely true that yeah. um, numbers or, or maths is Wesley's first language. Yes. And this, the, the language of language, of English or what have you, is, yeah. is a second language to him. And with that sort of lens, uh, people can appreciate him a little bit more. So yes. when, when you meet Wesley, he will, he will ask you what your name is and he'll ask you who, um, how old you are and when you were born. So this isn't to get to know you better. It's to put a number and a series of numbers that he almost... Um, theoretically places above your head so that he's got you measured as to all right if you were 57 you were born in whatever year on whatever day and he starts to that's that's his level of I guess engagement and that because maths is his first language he's so you will be those numbers to him yes it doesn't matter if your name's Mary or Steve yeah you're 57 and you were born on the 19th of October like that's it for him yeah he's um you know, and this and this may change in time, but he he the, the easy way to sort of describe him is he, he's a math savant because it's his ability to sort of hyper focus on on numbers. It's it's like any sort of trained athlete or trained musician. It's if you put the hours in and the time and the energy and the interest into something, then you'll grow that muscle, that skill. It's no different with him. He he has some seemingly natural gifts, yeah. but he puts all his time and energy and focus, hyper-focus, yeah. into into maths and into numbers. And, um, yeah, it's, it's incredible. He's got some really nifty party tricks up his sleeve when it comes to, yeah. <laughs> when it comes to numbers. So Often uh, kids with autism will have what they call a savant skill. So it, it can be common where I think one of the theories is that they're not using the – neurotypical that they've got a neurodiverse brain so they're creating these neural pathways in other areas of their brain where neurotypical people don't often have little neural pathways there so there are lots of kids definitely and adults obviously on the spectrum who have what they call a savant skill it's not necessarily diagnosed as hyperlexia whereas with Wesley it was so clear from the very beginning numbers were all his first words he he could he could say numbers he could list the alphabet he used to sit in the car when he was about two 
and he'd just start saying the alphabet backwards. And I was like, oh. That's so, incredible. Yeah. So the, the numbers um, the numbers were a huge part of and still are of everything that is him. If you want to connect with him, if you want to talk to him, you just have to start talking numbers. You speak his language. And he'll, he'll, he'll immediately engage with you. So that's his numbers are his first language. So, yeah, for all of his therapy, a lot of it is based around getting him to come sort of out of that numbers world and into the world of English. <laughs> and that's pretty okay. much where, where, yeah. With your life, were there challenges outside the house? Yeah, absolutely, wasn't there? I mean, the, the challenges that get born of language issues and uh, communication issues extend beyond the household. So Wesley, I guess a lot of parents feel this way about their toddlers, I suppose, that they don't feel like they're getting listened to. But in actuality, that's what was happening to us where he didn't comprehend what we were communicating and he couldn't communicate back to us. And so if you if you have that, it's like having a, a newborn baby who has athletic ability to go and get themselves into all sorts of mischief. That's what it was like for us. So that it comes with inherent safety issues that we were constantly up up against, I suppose. So we we had to keep him in a stroller and in a trolley or whenever we were going out. Always restrained. He was always restrained because he had no concept of of danger. Even if we spoke to the danger, it wouldn't be received. And so he would find himself not not trying to, but we'd find himself putting himself in precarious situations in shopping centres, running away running through car parks, that sort of thing, unless we had him fully restrained. And often it was uh, restraining a stroller, get him to the car, restrain him by hand, get him into the car, restrain him again. And that was our life for quite a number of years Mm. and to the point where it got to not being able to really go out. So with our daughters, one of us would take our daughters out and Paige and I would be at home with Wesley because it was safe. We could never really go out as a full family unit. So no walks down the street together. No, no, no walks down the street. We, if it, it didn't, it, it just wasn't feasible or really even enjoyable to go to even the shops, or you know, like with with Wesley park. or the park, yeah, or real common places that kids could enjoy themselves. Um, we would only ever go to if we were going to go to a park and risk it. We would only ever be able to go to parks that were gated and fenced in. And even then... Very familiar with every park in Perth that yeah. has a fence around it. Yeah. We oh, know well. the list. <laughs> oh, well. So that that was that caused a lot of challenges. We it, And over time, we just found ourselves becoming more and more isolated and, and just less, I guess, just more and more conservative in what we were going to could or wanted to do. Um, the idea of even going on a holiday or the idea of just doing some pretty basic things. Yeah. We just started to notice we st- started to get a bit... I mentioned this to someone the other day. I just found it, even for myself, so starting to get a bit hard, like in my heart, because I would just be going, oh, can't do this, can't do that, can't do this. And then your life just became the things you can't do rather than what very you... very restrictive. Yeah, 100%. And, and not just restrictive for us because we would tag team out, but so restrictive for Wesley because he just wasn't getting that real life experience. He wasn't... Mm. 
He wasn't able to actually go out and live life like a normal child. He was never allowed to run freely because we would always have to be basically playing goalie with him. <laughs> and there was just always that it was just always an adult at an arm's reach away in case he would have an upset and just bolt. So that's that's where when there's a breakdown in communication and he doesn't understand things, he would get upset about something. We wouldn't understand why he was upset. He couldn't tell us why he was upset. As a result of that, and this is where a lot of children with autism do this, they just run because it's an instinct for them. They get they get feedback from, from actually running physically. They get a physical feedback from that, from running away. And so it's instinctively what they do, but so stressful for a parent, the amount of times that we have just bolted and just had to run at absolute full pelt to catch him from getting to a street or getting somewhere was just, it, it just became so... There just became so much anxiety around going anywhere because we just knew that one of us would end up running and just having our heart in our throat just beating so fast that it just became not worth it. So just so so restrictive for everyone. It must have been emotionally difficult for you both. How did you cope yourselves? I think with any parent, you the feeling that you don't want to be shortchanging your children is is really important. And we felt like we were shortchanging everyone, you know, and, and, and we couldn't really help it. It was uh, a matter of survival, it seems. And I don't want to over-dramatise it, to be honest with you, but it, you ma- we made decisions to say, you know what, it, it's, it stinks that we can't all go out. Mm-hmm. So some of us will go and others will stay. Yeah. But it meant we were shortchanging our daughters at times because it meant it's, it's too hard or it meant yeah. that Wesley can't go and you thought, well, he won't care anyway. But you don't want to live that way for too long. And so it felt like we were shortchanging it, like everyone in the family. But it also meant that Paige and I weren't able to go out together a lot as well. So not just going out, the pair of us, but going out together as a family and actually seeing and experiencing life together, I suppose, Mm. in that sense. Because it always meant that one of us wasn't there. Mm. I mean, we went through, obviously, the diagnosis process with our older daughter. I know for a lot of parents that's really hard and actually getting that getting that diagnosis, having that label put on you, put on your family, all of that sort of thing. I know a lot of people that don't get their kids diagnosed with anything because they can't handle that. And there is a certain amount of grief that comes with that as a parent to to sort of admit that your child is never going to be normal and they're never going to fit in and they're never going to be like a regular child doing regular things there's a lot of there's a lot of emotions that come with that we sort of went through a little bit of that process with our older child in terms of that it's not grief for yourself I mean I think for a lot of people there is grief for themselves but it's grief for your child as well in knowing that their their experience of life isn't going to be what everyone in our society deems as a fulfilling life, and so um, yeah, or takes, an... or takes for granted what is what what's easier, or what you know That's com- right. comes naturally, or whatever it might be. Yeah. When you did get to get out in public as a family unit, how, how did that go? So, unfortunately, when Wesley would have a meltdown to the untrained eye, it it can look like 
he's just a, a naughty child having a tantrum. And for a lot of people, they are probably well-meaning, but they feel like it's their role to step in <laughs> and either make suggestions of maybe what we should be doing better or differently and also just to stop and stare. So I one day was in was just at the shops. Wesley was in the trolley because he had to be restrained in the trolley. He was clearly too big <laughs> to need restraining. He he could ably walk. Why wasn't he out walking? But he, I was fighting with him to keep his legs in the trolley. And I had people literally stop and just stare at me and just watch me. And he was just screaming, throwing things like it was a real sight. And just to feel like a like a felt like a zoo exhibit with him because people didn't really know what was going on but they would just see this thing and they'd think oh look at that badly behaved child and then um you know I I heard comments that people would make about about me and about him and it was so off-putting and that's sort of what Bo was referencing to before is you kind of get this hard heart it's because we just started just it was too hard it was too it was too draining emotionally to go out because of the judgment just everybody's judgment that would come on you when your child was behaving in a way that looked like just really bad behavior but wasn't he was not coping and upset and we were trying to help him as best as we could it was always interesting for me because I'd always find myself one of us would be dealing to physically um, restrain to rein him in I suppose <laughs> and then the other was either with our daughter or, or nearby and you would hear our daughters sorry I forgot one of them <laughs> our daughters <laughs> um, uh, but you would you would hear comments and you would hear grumblings and little murmurings about us and it and it 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 does it takes you to, it's take it, it takes its toll on you but you'd also have to like suck it in quite a lot yeah. because you a, we've already caused quite a, st- a scene. Yep. We don't need to make it bigger by sort of picking a fight with someone who really has nothing to do with this. But that was quite a challenge, I suppose. I think it's human nature to try and like stick up for your kid if someone's saying something that's not quite right. But it would happen so often that you would almost go, look, they just don't understand. We're just going to let yeah. it go. We're going to go home and we're just going to recoup and re- rally and... Unfortunately, what that meant was it just became harder and harder to go out. As Wesley became older and more like physically stronger, it actually became physically harder for us to do it. Yeah, I remember Paige, like at one point, we were like walking every day. Paige was like running every day with some of the motivation to go, yeah, when he bolts, we've got to be able to catch yeah, him. Yeah, I literally <laughs> took up running because I couldn't catch him anymore and it really scared me. So I actually started running and I was like, I have to be, able, <laughs> have to be fit enough to catch him. And, and quick, quicker than yeah, him. So yeah, you can, um, and quick out of the blocks like a 100-metre yep, sprinter. Right. And he, yeah, that's right. a, he always got a couple of legs in front of you <laughs> and you would, you would always have to just absolutely hightail it mm. to catch him. Sort of going back to that before as well, what what would be really hard is in the moment you would be, like for me, I would be restraining all of my energy on trying to deal with this behaviour um, with Wesley and people seemingly well would want to, they would stop, they would 
probably be trying to maybe help and interject, but it takes everything in your energy just to try and cope with this massive thing that's going on in front of you. You can't actually enter into conversation or anything (laughs) with anyone outside and that would happen all the time. And I would just want to scream at people, just go away, just leave me alone. I'm trying to deal with this. And that got really hard because you start getting really bitter towards people and towards normal people. And you start seeing families out and about and they're just living this very cheery, normal existence (laughs) and you start resenting people because they're normal and they get to go and do these normal things and you you just, you you really start to feel isolated and on the outer and like you, you can't have those things and they're such simple things that we wanted. I mean, we went to Kings Park one day and I ended up literally on my back holding Wesley with both my arms and my legs, he was thrashing and I was using my body to protect him from the ground in the car park and there were cars coming and going and I was literally in the middle of the car park on the road and my head was on the ground as well, like just tr- just trying to protect him so that he wouldn't get a head, head injury or something. Like he was just, yeah, we we arrived, I was meeting a friend, we arrived there and I couldn't get him past the car park um that happened my two daughters had already gone I had to yell at them because they'd already gone to meet the friends I couldn't move I had to scream at them to come back I was angry because this was just the most horrible thing and I was just screaming at them get in the car we're going home this is just it's not happening today you know and that was it. Like every, everyone in the whole car ride home, Wesley was still screaming. The girls were crying because they didn't know what was going on. They were like, I thought we were meeting our friends for a play. <laughs> I was crying because I was like, I, I just can't believe how horrible that was. And we just we just knew that something had to change. <laughs> so, yeah. We always just lived in the hope that through therapy and time. Yeah that that would be the change that would happen. And we could see that that was working, but the safety part of it just wasn't really changing. So Wesley was developing and his communication was improving, but not fast enough that it was safe. And that's that's really where it was landing on that day where we went, where do we go? Where do we go from here? What started to happen next? (laughs) So when our eldest Lane... Obviously, she she was diagnosed and we were looking for any avenue to give her some support. I knew that autism assistance dogs existed. I don't know how we knew that, but I guess when you're in the autism community, these are things that you you hear. Mm -hmm. And I remember doing research around it to see what it would take to, to have one. We thought this would be great for Lane for a variety of reasons. That's right. She was a runner as well. She was a runner. So yeah. we had the, we'd already gone through this. To a lesser degree yeah. with, with our older child. She had language to back that up. So it, it wasn't as it wasn't as bad. She was easier to communicate yeah. with because she had that language development. So Yeah, so what issue. we discovered that there was guide dogs available through uh, other agencies uh, interstate. So um, New South Wales, Victoria, there is there was autism assistance dogs available. You had to first be chosen but you also then had to fundraise for yourself to acquire the dog and then also have it 
I guess, transported over to, to, to WA. Pick it up. Yeah. That'd be incredibly expensive, wouldn't really? it? Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. So it was basically at that point we thought, you know what, that would be lovely, but that's not going to happen. And, and kind of parked the idea and didn't really think too much of it, probably until you... I'd forgotten about it. Yeah, until yeah, you'd I'd seen it. Yeah, forgotten about it, really. Seen completely. something on Instagram. Yeah, so I saw, was looking at dogs and happened to just do a bit of a Google search, dogs and autism, and maybe looking at what kind of breeds of dogs might be good for a, a kid with autism, maybe in just helping in some way. Not really sure what I was going to find, and I, I had sort of forgotten about the the research that we'd done years prior. But, yeah, Guide Dogs WA came up and their autism, autism assistance dog program came up and they have a PDF on their website and I read through the PDF and I just, oh, I just was like, oh, my gosh, this is amazing. And I was reading it and I was just like, I, I never knew a dog could be so amazing. And I was reading all of these, I was reading all of these things that these dogs could help with and I was like these are like wonder creatures what is this and it was when Paige was reading this stuff it was I reckon you read it over a couple of days I I, I kept reading it I was just reading all uh, anything I could find then on it I was just it was almost on the hour every hour Paige would be like did you know did you know that these dogs can can do this and I'd be like all right and And it was (laughs) and it was a lot of it was focused on Labradors and I, I was just sort of reading and I was like, why doesn't everyone have a Labrador? They are the smartest, <laughs> cleverest dogs and you can train them really well. And I was just like, what, why doesn't everyone have one of these? They sound so amazing. So that that's where the idea was born. We sort of, I, I just was completely in awe of what a dog was capable of. I'd never, I'd, I'd really never heard of anything like this I, I always knew that the seeing eye dogs could be trained and knew that guide dogs is, existed but I'd never I, I'd never seen it in this sort of light so so what even when you're armed with that information and you know that there is a resource it, I think it takes a certain amount of courage to actually try and reach out so um, so how did that look like how did you reach out I think initially it was just Page had to make a phone call and the thing is you you see how wonderful they are on the website but you almost have to guard yourself to set yourself up say this isn't this isn't going to happen but we're going to make the phone call anyway and and get told you don't qualify or it's going to cost three hundred thousand dollars or whatever it is and you go okay thank you but that's that's probably where it all started it's just a simple phone call to get some more information I suppose yeah so Guide dogs have a vetting process that they go through and they first will take uh, a phone interview. So I did the first initial phone interview and then they'll do sort of a second phone interview where they ask a few more questions. And then if you sort of get through that, you put in, you submit a written application and then from there they will carry out a home interview. So... We went through that process and it's sort of during the home interview that you get an idea whether or not you're going to progress any further with with your application. So we had one of the staff members from Guide Dogs come out and she interviewed us and we told her our stories and I'm sure we cried and <laughs> mm-hmm. 
she could see yeah she could see the need and 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 I just remember she said well it's very clear to me that you need this need a dog and I just Mm. yeah we we just we were so happy so she said now we go through the process of pairing of, of of a matching process and that can take several months to maybe a year depending on depending on the right match for your child so yeah that was the process we it, we sort of I had the idea I'm pretty impulsive so <laughs> I don't think I waited long from when I did this sort of research I, I just was like oh my gosh this this is amazing jumped onto it yep. pretty much yeah and I think within yeah within a few months because then obviously they have their and you have to wait you have to wait very patiently for the next phone interview or yeah. the home visit and <laughs> Would they bring dogs to your house? That's right. So on the home visit, they'll bring a dog. They'll let the dog sort of have a wander around your house. They'll get... So on that initial thing, the trainer actually brought a little um, grooming brush and she said, okay, I just want you to give this to Wesley and get him to pat the dog. And in my head, I was like, I I can't get him to do that. Are you kidding? Like, I I can't get him to brush his hair or his teeth or anything like he doesn't have those skills so anyway I, I showed Wesley I said this is the brush we're gonna oh look pat the dog and I can't was it Cooper was mm. his name the, he was a black lab he was beautiful he's gone to a his forever family now but he was a dog that was in training at that time and I showed him here look we're gonna pat him with with this little um thing and Wesley took it and patted him and I couldn't believe it I was like Whoa, yeah, he blown away. He did it. And as soon as this dog, we were sitting sitting around our lounge room having a chat and this dog was sitting there and I felt so calm. I I, I was like, this this thing has magical powers. Like <laughs> it's making me feel because I'm an anxious person. We obviously have a lot of anxiety with in our home with certain things, not not all the time, but you know with our children's different needs and and yeah this dog was just so calming and it was just sitting there and I was like oh my gosh it's how is it doing this it's just brought this total feeling of calm and Mm. peace into our into our home it It was was, it was palpable like our our middle child Quinn she you know they were only probably over for about 45 minutes or so and um, by the end of that Quinn was lying down next to Cooper and this is a kid who was fearful of the smallest dog, and this dog was massive. Yeah, it was huge. Um, <laughs> and and by the end, of it, she was lying down next to it and just sort of, you know, patting, patting him, him and so yeah. relaxed. And these are, I guess, terms that we didn't use a lot <laughs> in, our, sure. in our household. So it was, oh, it completely was, uh, understand that. Absolutely yeah. amazing. So Cooper was just was just like a trial visit, or yeah. So after that, they they will do like a trial run. So. They tethered Wesley for Cooper. <laughs> so the dog wears the vest and clicked onto that vest is a little a little tether strap which then has a clip that goes around the child's waist. So that's how the safety is provided. Basically the dogs are trained to sit and anchor. As soon as there's a tug on that line, they will sit immediately. So as soon as your child goes to bolt, the dog sits and anchors and if the child keeps pulling the dog will just lie down so it basically creates a 40 kilo anchor 
35 to 40 kilo anchor and the child can't run away. (laughs) That is incredible. So this particular day we walked down the street. I had to walk the dog. I was very nervous. I'd never (laughs) walked a dog before in my life, never held a dog lead. Uh, We walked down the street. The The trainers were giving me the instructions to give the dog the training commands and I was so nervous about making sure I was saying the right words and everything. Then we sort of got to the end of the street and the park was visible and Wesley started to bolt like he was just like, let's go, trying to run across the street. And this dog just sat and stopped him from running. And my my instinct was to grab Wesley because that's what I'd always done to restrain him. And it was just the strangest feeling to just hold this lead and not grab him because I was so used to grabbing him to keep him safe and just realise, oh, the dog is actually keeping him safe right now, not me. (laughs) So that was really amazing. Mm. I think the other bit, and we talked about how, I mean, we we waxed lyrical about how hard it was for us, I suppose, for a long time. And that was that day that Cooper came out um, was the first time we'd ever walked together as a family down our own street. So we, I, it, I started to get a bit misty walking back home that we'd, A, you know, gone out with this dog and he kept Wesley safe from running across the road. But then it sort of dawned on us, oh, hang on, this is this could be possible. Yeah. Uh, that we can go outside. Yeah. <laughs> and, we can and, leave our house. And return safely. Like it was quite an incredible feeling. And, and our girls were with us at the time. And... We're all walking back together as a family. I had to get some photos because I thought this could be the one and only, <laughs> the one and only shot at it, um, like a, like a fluke. Yeah, it's like yeah. oh, we did it. You know, like yeah. it was amazing. And you know, after they had left, and they, you know, we, we talked about how that experience went with Paige handling the dog and how Cooper went. Uh, we talked about how Cooper probably wasn't the right size for Wesley because he was a, a slightly smaller dog, not quite. Um, strong enough to so, stop Wesley from completely going without Cooper moving. Yeah, so um, unfortunately that lovely dog yep. did get did get pulled a bit. So Wesley was three at the time and he was pulling the dog. So the dog had to keep readjusting to anchor and they said, they said at that point, and I'll never forget, they said, ooh, we might need a bigger dog for him. <laughs> Oh, wow. So, um, not all not all the not all the dogs in the program are the same size. They sure. vary from about thirty three kilos up to about thirty eight, thirty sort of yeah, thirty eight kilos. You couldn't just feed Cooper up a bit more. Being a Labrador, I don't think Cooper would mind, but no. I'm sure that's not the healthy I think, option. I think in part they realised as well that they needed to do a little bit more sort of strength training with Cooper yeah. so that he could manage yeah, a pool of that pulling, size. So. Mm. It was it was probably good like good for them to sort of see that with with Cooper, but it was it was amazing, wasn't it? Really, yep. like I, it's one of the fondest memories I have yep. of that day. Even though that's not the dog we ended up with, that is a really fond day in my memory. We've all got a soft spot for that dog because yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he was the dog that up. opened our eyes yeah. to. Yeah, we all speak so fondly of Cooper. Yeah, yep. <laughs> he was like this magic dog that we met. Magic Cooper, yeah, he was. absolutely. And there's another magic dog. Called Max. Tell me about the day. Did Max come to uh, visit? Yeah, or? so we, between Cooper and Max, we, uh, had we, four. We, we had a few other dogs come out and and do some pairings to see. There's quite a lot of 
I guess they're, they're, I mean, they're the experts at Guide Dogs WA to see what um, what to look for in terms of the cadence of the dog, what what natural speed they like to go at, and is that a good match for both um, the handler being Paige and the child? Mm. Um, the size and the strength, The size obviously. and the strength, obviously, for safety purposes, and also just the nature of the dog. And these are things that as as not dog people we didn't really know or couldn't really see for ourselves so they were guiding us through that part of it and we were told pretty early on we don't get to select the dog it was it was the guide dogs wa the experts that get to do it which is fair they asked us for preferences and we were like you know what we really have no we've got really no business (laughs) making any comments just give us the dog just give us any dog (laughs) this is going to be 100 percent your expertise in this because we don't we're clueless so by this time, Wesley was almost five. So he was three when he did his first walk and he was now four, almost five. So when Max came, Wesley... Backtrack a little. That's okay. <laughs> so Wes obviously didn't have much interaction with dogs either. So we had to, while he was on that wait list, I had to make sure for Wesley that he didn't have any negative interactions with a dog because if he if he had a negative interaction kids with autism once they make up their mind on something that's it like it, you can't change it so i had to make sure that he didn't suddenly become scared of dogs sure. because it would have ruined the whole thing so he we had to sort of make sure that he kept and he was a bit funny when the dogs would come over. He'd run around thinking that they were going to play chasey with him or he'd just get this real funny energy when they first came or he would ignore them. So it was it was a bit touch and go of how he was going to react with these dogs when they when they came over for their for their visits. But I just remember when Max came over, Wes just flung open the back door and ran outside and ran down to his trampoline. And Max just, he was just sort of free range walking around the house, just having a little sniff and whatever. And he just followed, he followed Wesley down the back. And I was, uh, you know, I've talked about this before, but I was kind of like, oh, I've never seen any of the other dogs follow him like that. That's amazing. And he just followed him and just seemed to have a bit of an interest with him. So I, I kind of... I kind of thought, oh, he's I like him. And he his name is is apt. He was he's Max by name, Max by nature. He is a he's enormous. So he was at that current time the biggest dog that they had in the program and that's why they were doing a possible pairing with Wesley because they knew that he was the biggest dog. What happened from there? Did you go back to the society and go Yeah, well, I they, think we're going they on kind here. of said what would you like to have Max? And at, still at that point, mm. we didn't want to be presumptive at all. We just said... Um, so it, yeah, was, you, it was between the two dogs. It was between, it was between him and another dog. And another dog. And we just said, look, if we had to make the choice, like they really had to get it out of us because we, we were just so grateful to have any option at all. Yeah. But we sort of just dropped a couple of hints that it was Max. Like we we happy. The idea that he had a bit more size to him just made me feel better mm. that, you know, if he did He's try to pull so away, that he would too. be there. Yeah. I just really... <laughs> I just oh, so that was the determining factor because <laughs> yeah. he was a handsome a boy. Just that- some, and I, I don't know. I just... I didn't want to hint at anything because I wanted them to make the choice on their knowledge, not on not on really mine. But my, I think our gut instinct was definitely that it was 
that it was Max, but we wanted them to make the call. <laughs> and they wanted you to get it out of they, you guys. They wanted, they wanted us, to know what we thought, so we were more our, comfortable as well. And that's yeah. now in hindsight, you can sort of see why that yeah. it was a bit like that. That was sure. a bit, um, yeah. you know. But we we just were so grateful um, to get to get a dog yeah. that we didn't really want to put our own sort of bias in place. So yeah. Um, and but, what what did they that day look like when Max? So from that, so from that day, they they said they basically said, okay, well we're going to go away and think about this, and then a couple of weeks later. So this is why I'm saying there's a lot of patient waiting in this process and a lot of uh, (laughs) sort of moments. So we waited for the phone call. They called back and said, we've chosen Max for you. We're going to schedule in your classes is what they're called where it's a two-week training process where they bring Max and we have our first day of training and then that's it he stays with us from that point onwards so we scheduled that in it didn't end up being until February the next year so that was in November so we he did have a little bit more training still to do so the other thing that the trainers will do is once they know the family they get a list of all the places that we go or might potentially like to go because a lot of the places were wishful it was a bit of a wish list for some of it was we would love to go here so they start familiarizing the dog specific to the the little sort of soundtracks that that family makes. oh so they'll take the dog out yes it's almost like specialized training so if we say hey we like to go to this cafe or we'd like to go to this beach or this shopping center they start to familiarize Familiarize. the dog with those areas so that when it time comes they're a trained but also not distracted which is yep. a really important part of their training king's so, park as well Paige. yeah king's yeah. park <laughs> i thought so yeah. yeah we've gone back yeah we have gone awesome. back and lucky lucky for um lucky for max he got to do a bit of training at down at the local beach so that was nice <laughs> oh, a labrador at a beach funny oh, that but yeah. obviously it wasn't just for him but so, yep. yeah yeah so they so they do that They sort of finished off his training process, made sure that all his skills were up to scratch for for him to be able to then pass his public access assessment. So from from then, he came to us sort of in late February 2020. Yeah. So we had our first... So Wesley had turned... So Wesley had now turned five. So he was five when we got Max. And a lot stronger. <laughs> so, a lot stronger than when he was three. Max was back in uh, doing strength training yeah, in the gym. Right. Go to the gym, mate. We <laughs> yeah. need to. I like, I like to think he was doing like a Rocky Balboa montage. <laughs> so, yeah. So we started the two week training process, and at the end of that, we Max has his public access assessment. So. He has to pass a range of um, different skills to make sure that he can safely access the public public areas without causing any sort of danger to anyone or any of that type of thing. And yeah, so we did that and from from that moment on he's he's been ours. So Oh wow. <laughs> yeah. Life changing for you guys. Absolutely. For Wes for for you guys as a family. Now you can go out and well, like initially when we had Max, we were well, particularly for myself I didn't go through the training as the handler. So Paige is the Paige is the handler. We would get invited to things or we would get 
uh, Paige was suggests to go somewhere or whatever it might be, and and my initial reaction is no, we we can't do that. I was still stuck in the mindset that no, that's unsafe. We we can't go to the city, we can't go to Kings Park, we can't do these things. And Paige goes, yes, we can. And so it took not that it took time, but it just took that confidence. You went, oh yeah, we can. Like it was a complete mind shift for us that we were now able to go and do these things, but. It um, was, and it did take an it did take an adjustment period yeah. for us because we were so used to saying no, saying no. We were so used to just a life in fear, really, mm. of just we can't do that. It's just too dangerous, and yeah. So that 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 shift was really hard. But one of the real things that I remember was when we went to a cafe and we sat outside. We would never ever sit in <laughs> outside because it was. You know, on a cafe, there's a street, usually a street busy there, street there. Danger. And never, ever. We would always sit inside and he would be in a high chair. So Yeah, um, co- cornered and we'd yeah, be on, flanking like a, him on either side. Like a yeah. five-year-old in a high chair, you know. Like yeah, sure. <laughs> too big, clearly, for a high chair. <laughs> yeah, and we sat outside and he sat on this stool and he was tethered and Max just sat there and I was like, oh my gosh, I can't believe this. We're sitting outside and I'm actually eating and I'm enjoying myself and I'm taking my focus off Wesley. I'm not paranoid the whole time that I'm going to have to jump up and chase after him and create a huge scene <laughs> like in the middle of this because that was that was often what would end up happening to yeah. us. It was embarrassing. So Wes is at school. Is it grade one? Yeah. 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 Year right, one. Now, right now he's in year one. He tells us he's a big year one and he's going to be a big year, big year two next year. So yeah. Pretty excited. The first time he went to school, was that was Max? Or would, had Wes been Wes, going to... Wes had already been at um, kindy and, and pre-primary and it was, the, it was the very back end of pre-primary when Max was ready to go to, to school with, with Wesley. So we, we had had Max for at least six months before. So Guide Dogs asked in the initial interviews whether we would be interested in having a dog that would attend school and we said yeah we think that's a great idea we mentioned it to the school and they were completely supportive we have an amazing primary school who just were totally on board from the beginning and they guide dogs then wait for like a bit of a settling in period and around six months you can start to look at the dog going to school so they want the dog really just to settle in find its bearings with the family and make sure that it's everything's ticking along and going as it should before they then introduce this other element of working at school. So so around that six-month mark, we looked at training one of the education assistants that works with Wesley in getting her the public access assessment done so that she then has the title of handler to make sure that she can handle the dog in a public setting. Okay. So by the time that his first day of school came, I dropped him off (laughs) and I walked away and that was it. (laughs) I felt so sad. It was like leaving my child. (laughs) I was like, oh, no. (laughs) So, yeah, left both the boys at school and went about my day and I felt really strange because I'd gotten used to having this little buddy with me everywhere I went and I kind of got used to being a bit special too because... One of the things probably I haven't talked about is how much attention that walking around with a dog inside a shopping centre, for example, gets. It's every eye on you. You kind of know and get used to the fact that everyone's 
going to look at you at some point while you're out in public. They're going to make a comment about something and you just you just kind of get used to that. Yeah, all the all the grumblings and murmurings that we heard before the, the whole the whole narrative shifted once we had Max. So we would have you know people going, "Oh, you know, bad mother, oh, that child, oh, I'd smack him and he'll be fine." You know, these are the things that we would hear before. And it changed to, oh, doggy, oh, doggy. And he did, I'd, I'd be 30 metres behind Paige and I'd, all I would hear was, oh, so beautiful. Oh, that's amazing. Oh, guide dogs this. Oh, you know. And I thought, wow, you know, the dogs come into our life. It's the same people that we're seeing more or less and we're just being viewed in a completely different light. The, the, the amount of empathy that was shown to us in shops and that sort of thing and it was just incredible. Absolutely incredible. You called it my new soundtrack yeah, because that's right. you said, oh, as I walk behind you, he said, people obviously, if I walk far enough, they don't know that I'm with you. And so I can hear what they're saying about you. <laughs> and um, he said, you've got a new soundtrack and it's like this, oh, it's so cute. <laughs> <laughs> and that's pretty much, Bo was like, that's your soundtrack. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's it, it, you hear the kids go, oh doggy, and you hear like the little little toddlers doggy, point out, oh dog, doggy, doggy, dog. and then you hear the parents try and explain why this dog's in the shop, why it's you know inside the restaurant, why is it in the restaurant, in the cafe, or in off works, whatever it is, and yeah, yeah, the, the, it's completely changed that I guess experience for us from what we deal with the general public and what we started to think the general public was like compared to probably what it actually is, which is. Um, Full of people with lots of empathy, they just they just don't know. So it's yeah. we, we we're constantly having conversations now, educating people about assistant dogs and and guide dogs in general. And we and the story that we're sharing here, we're 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 always sharing in public. And and Paige, as I said, it's the soundtrack of when she's walking around. But it's constantly people will go, oh, can I can I talk to you for for, for a second about your dog? And it's. Um, it's yeah, amazing, I've met a lot it? more people who have autism now because <laughs> they can see it's written on his vest. And that was actually probably for us, that's as well as the safety element, that's a huge part is just rather than getting this negative attention all the time, is it's it's just done a complete 180 flip to positive attention and when when they during the interview process they they actually said are you prepared for the amount of attention that you will get because it will you you do have to get used to eyes on you and you know you've got to get used to that and I said I've already got that but let me tell you it's not in a good way (laughs) and I said people are already looking at me they're already their eyes are already drawn when things happen and (laughs) to have it the narrative switch like that and to, for it to become a good thing and oh my gosh isn't that dog cute and look you know it's it's amazing it's it's been it's been probably for me the biggest impact it turned that sort of bitter heart that I had about going out and about people and about the public um, of sort of having this you know we'll stuff you all you've got no clue what's going on in 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 our situation right now you're just judging from your perfect little spot there <laughs> it's sort of turned turned my heart from that to to just being having conversations with people oh you've got you've got a son with autism too or you know and a lot of people oh i've got a grown child with autism i would have loved to have 
this could have helped us so much and, you know, what a fantastic program and, you know, just all the stories of people and just people opening up about about autism in general and having, you know, just an awareness because obviously autism is an invisible thing. You can't tell someone has autism by looking at them and so it's just opened up a, a sort of floodgate for for people to you know it 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 beca- you become a minority when you sort of get in this and it can be a little bit on the isolating side where you think no one really gets it and so for people to have this thing of like oh they they've got autism too they know they might have <laughs> they might have share something with me you know and so to have these moments where you can share these real life challenges with someone else from just who's a complete stranger yeah to to have that little it's yeah it's like a huge blessing (laughs) so it's like we feel a bit like we won a lottery in terms of the opportunity that we've been given like just we we know that it's rare and that we are just we we do feel really special that we were picked and just that this this amazing thing happened to us it really was like we'd we'd run one some sort of lottery in in life so yeah we're just so we just live in thanks to max and i I love the title of your podcast because that's for me it's it's the epitome it is perfectly epitomizes it's never just a dog for us he's not just a dog he's 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 a lifeline he is and he's really cute 